0: Well, Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Galker. Pleased to be back after about a month away. Uh, Laz is off right now. We're going to talk to him in a, a couple weeks. But uh, this week, I'm pleased to be joined by Steve Henson, who made a few waves in uh, Detroit Pistons um, fan talk this week with, with a pretty compelling post about Andre Drummond. Steve, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, doing well. Did I start a um, Detroit Pistons Twitter Civil War this weekend, did I?
0: (laughs) I think you may have. I think you may have. And we're going to get there. We're definitely going to get there and talk about that because it was a a very thought-provoking piece. And uh, I have thoughts about it. There are things about it that I 100% agree with and then some things that I don't totally agree with. So we're going to go back and forth a little bit about that. But before we do, uh, regular listeners will know that Steve spent some time um, away from the Pistons this year due to some travels, and last time we had Steve on the podcast, Laz and I talked to him about things we had seen since Steve had been away, so what we thought we'd do today is now that Steve is back in the swing of things, caught back up on the NBA in general, and definitely uh, well caught up with the Pistons, Steve. Let's talk about what you've seen. So you've been um, obviously watching the Pistons now for, for several weeks, a couple months, I think it is. You know What jumps out about this team to you? What are you seeing that you like? What are you seeing that you don't like?
1: Well, the first thing being a very big picture, I'll start off with a don't like, I guess. Um, the They've been 4-13 and 13 since the Golden State win. Uh, that started off December. That was pretty much right when it was that I got back. And so they've been losing a lot of basketball games. And it's understandable be, because they've been playing a lot of solid teams. But the thing that's <clears throat> that's really stuck out to me is that the league as a whole is there's so much parity in the league right now. And so the Pistons being right, you know, they're not great. They're not terrible, but they're uh, just at that level that going up against these teams every night, they're going to come out only winning four out of the 17 games that they played. So that's one thing that they are, um, that the the league is just so, the parity is so high that it's uh, tough for a team that's just a little bit below average to not look absolutely awful uh, in terms of the wins and loss column. The other thing is Reggie Bullock, I mean, or Bullock, I always want to call him Reggie Bullock, but, um, you know, he's a fourth in the league in three points shots made since the middle of December. And he's shooting 46% over that stretch. I uh, I think that that's not gotten quite enough attention. You know, he uh, started off the season slow again like he does every season. But since then, he has really taken off. Uh, so that would be number two. Number three is Luke Kennard. Um, we talked a, a lot on Detroit Bad Boys about what's going on with Luke Kennard in his, uh, in his funk that he hasn't quite been able to figure out. And that's something that I've been watching a lot of film on. I think eventually I'm going to try seeing if I can um, come up with something that I can write a post on. I've got a couple of theories that are at least percolating that he, uh, I really like the way he plays with Zaza Pashulia, that Zaza seems to look at him as a score and then just make it his mission while he's on the court to get Luke Kennard a open look. And then while he's on the court with um, everybody else, he is mostly just just another one of the guys. He's basically filling that um, Reggie Bullock role that you know we, we hear about um, Dwayne Casey yelling at Luke Kennard to shoot when he's open. And that's a, a very Reggie Bullock move that he'll come off of a screen or he'll be hanging out in a catch and shoot and he's got that ready hair trigger. And one of the things I have been looking at with Luke Kennard's tape is that he seemed to like coming off of movement in a way that Reggie Bullock doesn't necessarily. And so I think that either, I I think that there's, that there's something not quite as simple as Luke Kennard shooting it more that, uh, that there's, that they're going to have to be a little bit more intentional about how it is that they're going to get Luke Kennard going this year.
0: Yeah. Both of those guys obviously have missed some time with injury. Um, so I'm curious what you think. Just you know, disregarding stats and scheme for for a second, um, to me, Luke just doesn't look like the same guy out there. He looks uptight a lot. He doesn't seem to be uh, as carefree with and without the ball. Is there anything about just the way that he looks that gives you any insight to what might be going I on? I think
1: it's less about the way that he looks to me, and more about the way. Um, what it is that he's doing when he receives the ball. I I think that Stan Van Gundy may have had a better sense on um, Luke Kennard's pulse of what it is that he does well at than uh, the current coaching staff necessarily does. Um, I was watching some film from last year about the type of situations that they put Kennard in when he was receiving the pass. Uh, He was almost always on the move, you know, coming around a screen, or uh, he was never static when he... Uh, he was rarely static when he received a pass. And um, I I think that that fits well with Luke Kennard's game. Reggie Bullock is a guy who is cool with taking 60% of his shots from three and just hanging out, being a catch-and-shoot player, maybe taking a couple of dribble handoff. But I don't think that that's necessarily where it is that Luke Kennard's going to be at his best. I think that he does well when he is able to um, attack the rim to an extent, he's not going to. He's probably not going to get all the way to the rim. But even if he's just taking some uh, some of those mid range jumpers um, that are closer to the free throw line, uh, a lot of times when we see those low pers- uh, low shooting percentage game from him, he's uh, pretty close to the three point percentage uh, three point line uh, rather than the free throw. And so. Um, when he's attacking the rim, I think that's when he opens up a lot of other things for him, uh, and becomes more than just a three point specialist.
0: Yeah, so two things about that I think that make a lot of sense to me. The first one is um I think I really like Luke Kennard off the dribble um when it's preceded by him um coming off of a screen. So Luke with the basketball in his hands, I I don't necessarily love him in an isolation, um, but what I saw a lot of him Uh, doing last year that I think was particularly effective was he'd come off of one or two screens. So, so he's in movement and his defenders in movement uh, and that gives him a a little bit of an advantage as opposed to just sort of standing still ISO ball, like a guy like Blake Griffin might do. I I don't know that we've seen as much of that this season. I think Casey's scheme is a lot more Blake Griffin dependent uh, and and less player movement dependent. So I'll, I'll be curious when you do sort of a deep dive into this, um, if that's something you're going to run across. The other thing is I think uh, Luke is a really good passer out of those scenarios. And I don't think we've seen uh, his passing uh, as much on display. I, I think, you know, some of that is because I, to me, he looks tentative and a little bit afraid uh, to make mistakes. I think Casey's got a little bit of a shorter leash with him uh, perhaps than SVG had, but uh, his passing isn't where I would have thought it would, would be either. Um, let me put you on the spot about three other players this year. Um, all guys who've played relatively significant roles. Um, first one, Stanley Johnson. Uh, second one, Glenn Robinson the Third, third one, John Luehr. Three guys who, um, you know, the Pistons have a bit of money tied up, especially in those second two guys. And then they have the potential to tie up more money into Stanley Johnson. And they're going to have to make that decision fairly soon. So Stanley Johnson, Glenn Robinson, and John Luehr. What are your thoughts on those three guys so far? And this might lead us into a conversation about the the larger direction of the franchise and Andre Drummond and mm-hmm. all that stuff.
1: Uh, for Stanley Johnson, I mean, if he were not a lottery pick, would he be in the rotation for in, any NBA team right now? That's, uh, you know, I'll flip that question back to you. Do, you. do you actually think that the way Stanley's played this year and through his career so far? would he be in in a, in a rotation anywhere else in the league?
0: Yeah, that's absolutely a fair question. Um, I, I tend to think of it when I'm talking specifically to Pistons fans uh, in those kind of terms, like if this player were not a Piston, do you think you'd recognize the potential in this player that you see just because he's wearing a Pistons mm-hmm. jersey, right? So in other words, are those Pistons colored glasses maybe coloring your perspective a little more than you realize? And, you know, I think the answer to your question is no. I mean, he's been absolutely terrible on offense. And I hate that because I've been pulling for Stanley Johnson. I've really wanted him to break through, but uh, mm-hmm. he hasn't done it. Uh, he hasn't done it this year. His defense continues to be strong, but, um, you know, his offense is so bad that no amount of defense he provides makes mm-hmm. him a, a plus player because, you know, shooting 38% from the field overall, 27 percent from deep i mean that's it's just poor poor shooting and and such a high percentage of his shots are threes i mean roughly half of his attempts per game are coming from the three-point line which is obviously the place he's worst at on the floor so yeah i mean to me it's it was kind of a put up or shut up season for stanley johnson and unfortunately so far he just he just hasn't come through and i think uh you know, that, that means the Pistons ought to be. Yeah, absolutely. And lane, so.
1: that's where I'm at with them too. I mean, you get a, you get a second round rookie who is a more effective guy in the role that you look for out of Stanley Johnson and what Bruce Brown's doing. And I think part of it is just Stanley Johnson, not really realizing what he is offensively. I, uh, in December, I also so <clears throat> I'd written a piece um, right pretty soon when I had gotten back when he was, Actually playing well, coming off at of the bench, and it looked like he might have been figuring some things out. Since then, he's uh, gone back to the same player he always has been. In December, he has had a usage percentage of nearly twenty-four percent, while shooting forty-three percent true shooting percentage. That is just uh, that's debilitating. It's um, very difficult to win with a player like that on your team. And uh, <clears throat> I've always hoped that things would click with Stanley. That uh, he does have the passing instincts. He has the ability to um, attack the rim. And, you know, if he were looking to facilitate more than he was scoring, and then he could be a useful offensive weapon. I look at what uh, the Heat have done with Justice Winslow. Um, right now he is averaging uh, eleven. Point per game, five rebounds per game, and four assists per game. Uh, still not shooting the ball well; only a fifty percent true shooting percentage. But he's at least, uh, you know, that that's a useful offensive player who is creating for his teammates. But if Stanley can't even do that, and then he doesn't belong on an NBA roster. He should not be back with. I mean, unless if he really just has the light bulb go off. He's he's not worth keeping around for the Pistons. He's uh he's not an NBA caliber player. Which is unfortunate to say. I think he has a lot of talent, and I think there are some really great attributes that he brings to the team. But the, uh, you know, he's taking 14 shot attempts per 36 minutes right now, and that's a, a career high, despite the fact that he still can't put the ball in the hoop. He just hasn't figured it out, and he's not going to figure it out as long as he's a Piston.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that his shot hasn't improved at all is is super concerning. I mean, you know, interestingly, he and Bruce Brown are essentially the same age, they're pretty close to each other. But like if you look at their shot attempts over, you know, per 36 minutes or usage rates or whatever, I think you're right to observe that Bruce understands where his limitations are offensively and focuses in on um, you know, his defensive prowess and is a little more opportunistic with his shots, takes shots at about 60% the rate of Stanley Johnson. And I think that's earned him minutes for better or worse. Um, But I mean, that's the thing. I've always said that, you know, knowing when not to shoot can be a skill. And Stanley just doesn't seem to have that from my perspective. Yeah. So I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, we've reached probably pretty close to the end of the road for Stanley Johnson doesn't seem to be in the rotation of late or, at least not getting serious minutes. Uh, that leads us to Gr. Three, a guy I was pretty excited about. A Michigan fan, as as our listeners know, um, currently injured. But even before the injury, he moved into the starting lineup and just sort of disappeared. Hasn't produced much at all. Well, uh, what's your take on Glenn Robinson III?
1: Is he still injured right now, or is
0: actually that's a good question? He might be. He might be off the IR now. Actually, I think he is off the IR.
1: Yeah, he got a couple of minutes the other day. And so, you know, my my thought with uh, Glenn Robinson when he was signed was pretty similar to what it still is right now. I thought there was a chance that he'd look a lot like Avery Bradley, except more of a small forward type of Avery Bradley, and that there'd be a good chance that he'd end up Langton Galloway, you know, the way that Langton Galloway was the odd man out last season. and I And I think that's Kind of where it is for Gr3. I think he probably should be playing ahead of Stanley Johnson, unless if there's some sort of compelling reason um, to have Johnson in the in the lineup. Just uh, I think that Gr3's three point shooting will eventually roll around. He um, has always been a very good corner three point shooter, and that's not necessarily translated so far uh, with his uh, with the Pistons. So in his uh but you know anytime you're looking at three-point shots you need at least 100 three-point shots to be able to determine a decent sample and he's nowhere near that level at this point so he's gonna he's gonna come around in terms of three-point shooting and so that immediately makes him more useful than Stanley yeah I I agree I think uh
0: he's not a an amazing shooter but he's not nearly as as bad as he's been for the Pistons and at some point the shots are going to fall um and, and that's something important, I think, to keep in mind. You know, my thing about this iteration of the Pistons under Dwayne Casey, there's a real concerted effort to shoot the three ball. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think there's a philosophical question here about, you know, as a coach, do you coach your scheme regardless of your, do your roster, or do you bend your scheme to fit the roster? And I don't have the answer to that question, but I think Casey's approach is, you know, this is the scheme we've decided to use, and, and we're gonna we're gonna implement it. And the thing that's tough is when you have these shooting woes, like um, a guy like GR3 is having, or even a guy like uh, Galloway, who I think on the whole has been, you know, decent, like he's just so up and down. So when you have two or three guys all shooting the ball terribly on any given night, you know, that can be a really rough thing for a team that's as three dependent as the Pistons currently are huge percentage of their shots are coming from three and they're, You know, bottom tier in terms of percentages. So, you know, when two or three guys are missing, it gets really hard for anyone to overcome that. Uh, Last guy, I'm curious about John Lure. He's uh, seen some minutes here and there. Uh, What are your thoughts on Lure's? uh, I don't want to call it a resurgence because that's way overstating it, but what have you seen from Lure that you like or don't like?
1: You know, John Lue is what he is. He's not going to be a, a centerpiece of anything that it is that you're doing, but he is a guy who, so long as you're using him in a reasonable sort of way, he's not necessarily going to kill you. <laughs> but yeah, with the with the jazz game last night, yeah, he definitely killed the Pistons. But can we talk for a second about that lineup that Dwayne Casey had going out there for a minute? It was yeah, go ahead. That Twitter was ablaze with that
0: one, so I, I'm curious what you think. Jose
1: Calderon. Bruce Brown, Reggie Bullock, Luke Kennard, and John Louer. What the? <laughs> not the small
0: ball lineup anyone had envisioned. I don't think is one way of putting it.
1: <laughs> While Rudy Gobert was out on the court, that's I. Uh, that was a little perplexing.
0: Yeah, and you know, you're not a guy who's super critical of rotations. We've talked about yeah. this, you know, over the years, but. That one, to say it was a head-scratcher, sort of puts it mildly, right? I mean, that—and look, I have a guy who who I've been wanting to see Lure as small ball five, but uh, that wasn't exactly the small ball I had in mind. Right,
1: yeah, and there was a time that there was the opportunity for it. You know, uh, Rudy Gobert went into early foul trouble that uh, Akepe Udo spent quite a bit of time in the first half that you could have staggered it so that— John Luer was out there doing the small ball five while Udo was out there. Instead, it was once Rudy Gobert came back in in the first uh, the first half that they that Casey benched both. I, I, I believe he benched both Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond at the same time, and it was just, I I mean. I'm not, The reason why I am not very critical of coaching rotations is that, you know, I figure that there's some sort of logic behind it, that we may not necessarily know the reason for it. But that just, I cannot imagine what kind of logic there is in terms of playing John Lewer at a small ball five with who's the power forward in that rotation, Reggie Bullock. Uh, yeah, there isn't one. <laughs> while you're playing uh, one of the longest um, <laughs> 7 2 centers in the history of the league out there, you know?
0: Yeah, that, you know, I, eventually I want to talk about Dwayne Casey's coaching. Um, I'm not ready to do it yet. Maybe the All Star break, I'll, I'll have some time to, to put some real serious thought into it. But, uh, you know, I'm not a super huge fan of it so far, still early. Um, Things haven't gone well. There's lots of reasons to, to defend his coaching to date. But, uh, lineups like that that was clear most clearly the most head-scratching one but you know there's been a few of those where it's like what you know what what logic could there be is the question you end up asking so uh, uh before we get to Andre Drummond in, in the future of the franchise and where it ought to go any anything else you want to talk about that you've seen over the last several weeks since you've been back in the saddle
1: well you know one guy who I'll mention that I was really critical of early on was Bruce Brown I I never saw him as a legitimate prospect but he, he made a lot of sense in the way that the Pistons have brought him along and used him as a way of hiding uh, Reggie Jackson defensively. And so that's one that I will I, – I had a pretty aggressive stance uh anti-Bruce Brown to start for. And uh, for that one, I'll, I'll eat a little crow. He's made some sense.
0: Yeah, you know, given where he was picked, he certainly exceeded expectations, right? I think, you know, even having said that, though, to have him in the starting lineup, ugh. I mean, he's just such a poor shooter Um, for whatever reason, you know, last season, this season, they just can't seem to put shooters around Blake Griffin, which I I think he really clearly needs. And he's been doing a heck of a job overcoming that. And and maybe this leads us, or before I go there, any other Pistons you want to talk about before we dive into Andre Drummond?
1: No, no, we can go. Okay. okay,
0: so this leads us to the conversation about Andre Drummond. You, uh, for those who haven't read this piece, if you've been living under a rock the last several days, uh, Steve wrote a really provocative piece on DetroitBadBoys.com. com. I believe the the catchphrase was something to the effect of "It's time for the Pistons to break up with Andre Drummond." And uh, Steve, you know, for me, this 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 post for me calls up you know all sorts of really key. Uh, decisions that this franchise really does need to make. Um so for those who haven't read it, can you just kind of summarize where you're coming from uh, the key points of that article and then we can kind of dive into it a little more deeply.
1: For sure, for sure. I'll start off with a couple of things that I really didn't want it to be. I didn't want it to be a bashing Andre Drummond piece because he is a talented player. He does bring certain things to the team that are very unique. There are things that he does on the court that nobody else can do. And I think that we go a lot of times with rehashing whether or not Andre Drummond's um, do his strength make up versus weaknesses. And I dove into that a bit, but I didn't necessarily want for that to be what it was all about. The bigger thing is that, you know, um, we know that this team is not going to be competing for the Eastern Conference, that, that as it's constructed... Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin probably are not going to be leading the team to an Eastern Conference championship. Um, We can look at roster construction going back over the past decade or two to see that that is not a uh, situation that really works, where you've got two big men who are the leading scorers who are able to lead a team to actually being competent. And so, you know, it's not necessarily meant to be critical of Andre Drummond, but more a, cri- a criticism of this current roster construction that if you change that roster construction, make it something that it does work, does make sense, and then it's something that you can finally look at being a team that competes in the East because the East really still is not that good. Um, it's not a situation like it is in the Western Conference where you do need two or three top-tier players to actually be above 500, and even then you might not be. It's a matter of you just put together... a a coherent lineup that everybody is <clears throat> on the same page working together and uh, fit together well in a way that's logical rather than just taking what it is that you're that you're given and I think that if you do that you can you can legitimately win and so you know Andre Drummond he's always going to be a high usage player he seemed to think that that is the type of player that he should be you know that he's um he puts value on his scoring he's Going to take those isolation attempts. Uh, there was this one moment last night where he made this amazing uh, steal, uh, you know, picking a ball off into in traffic. Had Bruce Brown trailing his uh, his man was playing him close, and rather than just dumping it off to Bruce Brown, he tried doing this ridiculous behind the back something shot and ended up turning it over. And so you know, it's it's not a criticism of Andre Drummond. It's uh, you know, it's just. It is what it is. He's going to be a high usage guy. He's going to take those kind of shots. It, we're not going to shut him down. And so we would be better off to think about what this roster and this rotation and this offense would look like being optimized around a player like Blake Griffin. And that means having uh, the second leading score, second and third leading score both coming from the perimeter, uh, You know, whether that's from point guard or the wing.
0: Yeah, so lots to digest there. Um, I think the question you know that I have is: let's say um, realistically, we don't have to come up with a specific trade, but let's say uh, Andre Drummond for two productive perimeter players, and you know, it, probably not shooting guard because you've got Kennard, and bullock who you, know, you like both of those guys instead of canard struggles and, and i like him too so you're probably talking about small forward and or point guard I, th- I think realistically so my question is like given that the pistons have so many guys who are such net negatives offensively does a trade like that move the needle far enough and so I get this is kind of where I where I start to struggle with this idea a little bit is I think Andre Drummond's a really good player in spite of his his weaknesses on offense. I have a little more optimism than you do about his usage, because I think it's it's started to tick down over the month of December and really since kind of December one. It's ticked down a bit, I think. Um, but so I guess that's kind of what I'm, I'm left scr- scratching my head about is, OK, Blake Griffin's 28 years old. So you've probably got three years right to to build around him you add two guys trading Andre Drummond and then you're still sort of left with well what's next because um you know Reggie Jackson seems to be nowhere near the player he was um you've still got some questions about your big man rotation if you go this direction so does it move the needle enough and that's where I'm skeptical
1: I think and that's where I need to be convinced a little bit mm-hmm yeah, you know, the piece for it for me is looking at a team like the Indiana Pacers, who uh, who don't have any big flashy guys. I mean, Victor Oladipo, um, Damanis, Sabonis, Sabonis uh, are probably their two best players, which, you know, they played really well. But at the time of the Paul George trade that brought both of them into town, people were pretty underwhelmed by those two names, you know? It's a matter of uh, you. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, whoever the Pistons bring in in exchange for Andre Drummond needs to be some huge, tremendous name. I think that Luke Kennard can actually be a um, an initiator on the wing if he's put into the right role, and if it is that that he's <clears throat> being made the center, uh, you know that he's being treated like a scorer rather than a spot up shooter. I think that that's a, a role that he can actually legitimately thrive in. Um, I, I'm At this point, you know, I still want to dive some more into Canard's film, but just what I've seen so far, I think that that's something that he does have that potential. Um, ideally, we would still do some more at three. Three's definitely weak, but even just flopping uh, Stanley Johnson out into GR3, hang out in the corner, shoot your 46% from the corner threes, fine. Um, Reggie Jackson—he's not the same player that he was once upon a time, but he's not been a train wreck. He's—he's uh, he's got a 54% true shooting percentage. That's the highest of his career. Uh, going along with a 24% assist percentage, while he's still not gotten a lot of possession, he's—he's he's not been the team's problem. He's been okay. That uh, backup backup point guard could still use some work, but that's always been an issue. That. And so what happens if you get rid of Andre Drummond to the center uh, position? I mean, you've got Willie Reed in the G League looking like a young Greg Monroe, you know? <laughs> have, have you seen that guy play? I mean, you remember Willie Reed when he played here, right? Yes, yes I do. Yeah, and um, every time he'd play against the Pistons, uh, back when I think it was Orlando that he was with, that he uh, had a couple of really strong games, that he's he's one of those guys that he can score down low. You can... I. That's the thing about the center position right now is that you can fill it so easily. That last night when Rudy Gobert went down, uh, the Jazz tossed in Akepe Udo, who had just been hanging out in the in Europe for quite a few years, and he uh, he gives you everything that you need at the center position. Rudy Gobert is obviously a transformational uh, defensive figure, but you know you can make that position work for you without spending a max contract player. And if you are spending a Mac contract player at that position, then he better not be, you know, taking things off of the table because, you know, it's just too easy to uh, to piecemeal it. Gotcha. So let me ask you one more question.
0: Um, One of the I hear what you're saying about Reggie Jackson. I think, you know, I've been pleasantly surprised with his demeanor. His role has taken a a pretty significant change, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Casey has essentially made him full time off the ball or pretty close to it. And mostly, I don't want to say mostly, but you know, a big part of his game now is the this, this catch and shoot jumper yeah. off of Blake Griffin offense. One of the things I really long to see is a Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond pick and roll with Blake Griffin also on the floor. And maybe your two and three in that scenario are, are Kennard and, and Bullock. Um, to me, there's still something there. There's a there, there, even with Reggie Jackson diminished a little bit because. I think that Andre Drummond as a finisher in the pick and roll is still viable because when it comes to the post, if you guys haven't read it, seriously, go read it. I agree with you 100% about Andre Drummond's offense. It's, It's not a good option. I agree with you. He seems to have it in his head that he has to do something offensively in order to prove or justify his value. You know, to me, Andre Drummond is a 12 shot attempt kind of guy, and the majority of those are finishing after an offensive rebound or after a pick and roll. But to me, the the thing that this offense doesn't have right now is a quality second look. It's essentially give the ball to Blake Griffin. And, and, you know, a lot of the times he can make a play, uh, but sometimes he can't because he gets double teamed or, uh, you know, he makes the right play and and people miss five, three point attempts in a row or whatever, you know, things just aren't working 100% of the time because you, you just can't expect many guys to carry that heavy of a load and ultimately be successful. So before the team jumps to a big trade like that, that fundamentally reshapes the roster and, you know, losing a guy like Andre Drummond, I mean, he is a phenomenal talent. So my thought is, you know, what about in trying to incorporate something like that, or even something like when Blake staggering Reggie and Andre so that they're opposite Blake more often, because the second unit you know, essentially has nothing offensively, right? I mean, there's just nobody out there in the second unit who can generate offense. Um, you know, what's your take on a thought like that? Explore the Reggie Andre pick and roll and see what happens there.
1: Well, I I think that over the past month or so, the idea of the emphasis on Blake being the end all on the offensive end, you know, where he was just, bringing the ball up the court every single play. initially it was just Blake and everybody else standing around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like that has been less of a thing over the past month uh, from what I've seen, Um, you know, based on some of the tapes I was watching uh, once I got back that, that it seems like they have been making more of a concerted effort to, um, to make it so that it's not the Blake and company show that, uh, uh, more Reggie Jacks, <clears throat> more Reggie Jackson bringing the ball up the court, um, where he is getting more ball movement into it, and Blake is blending in more at, uh, for the most part. And there's still certainly times where you're going to go to Blake, and that's part of having a talent like him. But it seems like it's typically coming through the flow of the offense, to where it's not necessarily just starting the play off that way. And so <clears throat> I think that it has happened some over the past month to an extent that it's that it's becoming less of a a Iso Blake type of uh, type of game plan in terms of whether or not you know there's something still worth I I've been, you know, crossing my fingers for uh 5 years now that Andre Drummond would be willing to figure out find his role in the offense stick with it and um and thrive in that role. And uh, the reason why I wrote the piece, that it was time to trade Andre Drummond and put it in such firm terms, is that I just don't think that he is um, willing to do that type of be that type of player, play that type of game. That it is always going to be a situation to where if Andre Drummond seals off his defender down low, uh, folks are going to be forcing the ball down low to him and Sometimes, you know, those do turn into shots, but a lot of times those are also, you know, flailing attempts or turned into turnovers on the entry passes or, um, you know, those, and then there's just the terrible face-up isolation and post-ups that have never really belonged in his game. And I, I just don't think that they're going to go away. And so, you know, there's certainly crossing your fingers and hoping that that happens. It's just that I, I don't see any indication to believe that, Andre Drummond um that, that he's willing to be a player other than what we've seen over the past five years. So I would love to be
0: I'd love to have a little time machine and go back in time to the emergence of the Andre Drummond post up and yeah. the Stan Van Gundy era. Um I was so vehemently against this when it started. Um and I remember sort of not having a whole lot of allies in that fight at the time. And uh I, I hate being right about that like just the way that his game has changed was that I think it was SVG's second year because I think the first year you know Monroe was still there it was sort of when Monroe left that you know that the Andre Drummond post-up really became a thing
1: mm-hmm.
0: I would love to know who came up with that right like was that an Andre Drummond driven decision was that a Stan van gundy driven decision? not that it ultimately matters now but it just just out of curiosity i would love to know how that developed because to me that just seemed like the totally wrong trajectory for his development and i think now i i'm still higher on drummond than a lot of people i really like i really really like his rebounding i think his defense ends up being better than it looks because the pistons are so good at one and dones because of his rebounding and he does generate turnover so i i like those things but offensively i think you're 100 right he's he's become the player that i so desperately did not want him to become on offense four years ago um and although i'm not ready to break up with him and and move on from him so to speak um i am so disheartened to see that this is where we've ended up because i do you know when as soon as the blake griffin trade happened my my immediate thought was this is going to end up meaning a trade for andre drummond and I was disappointed in that because I've become a fan of Andre Drummond. So, you know, you talked about eating crow with Bruce Brown. I, I was the ultimate crow eater for Andre Drummond. I was not at all happy about that pick. Uh, and he's turned into a much better player than I thought he would be. Um, But yeah, I think the, the point that you raised earlier is, you know, how do you construct an entire roster? And right now the Pistons have, for all intents and purposes, just about everything they're allowed to have under the salary cap tied up in their two starting big men and they don't fit with each other. So the question ultimately management has to decide is, you know, which one of these guys are we going to, you know, commit to the future on? Because I don't think it makes sense to try to move on with both of them because you just don't have the resources to improve. Now, do I wish that weren't the case? Yes. I wish that weren't the case. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I understand where you're coming from at the end of the day because I, I think the weaknesses of, of this front court are are certainly exposed. And it's not for me about any individual player as much as it is how do you rebuild? Because the Pistons have such significant issues on the perimeter. They just have, you know, replacement level players are worse essentially at every at every spot except for maybe Bullock. Um it, it's hard to to build around uh, Blake Griffin when you've got Andre Drummond's contract on the books and to flip that conversation it's hard to build around Andre Drummond when you've got Blake Griffin's contract on the books right so regardless of which guy you you know you come down on, on that side of the debate I think it it's just really hard to see a path forward where both of them are part of the future.
1: We were talking on Twitter the other day um, where you mentioned that Uh, The Pistons seemed kind of just doomed for a few years of mediocrity. Do you remember that? I do. And so uh, I was curious about uh, your thought for that. Um, You know, I I get that it's not an easy situation that the Pistons are in right now, you know, with the salary situation and all of that. But um, one of the teams that I think has done a remarkable job of rebuilding has been what Sean Marks has done with the Brooklyn Nets, to where the situation that he came in under was he had basically one asset that was uh, Brooke Lopez flipped him for a first round pick. And the team went from, you know, they, they went from winning 20 games to they won eight more games the next year. So they got rid of their franchise player and didn't even miss him afterwards. It's certainly easy to move the needle when you're only winning 20 games, but um, I found it interesting that we talk about what a difficult situation this front office is in, but the, the Nets right now, they are on pace to go from a twenty one win team to a 38-win team over the course of just two years uh, when they started out with absolutely nothing. And so, you know, Sean Marks turned that team front that was just absolute garbage into uh, a playoff contender. And the Pistons, you know, defense, Ed Defensky's coming in with two guys who have been considered franchise players at, at various points in their career. And so, you know, I I just have absolutely a ton of difficulty empathizing with the difficult situation that Dubinsky might be in. I think he's, if he is unable to get creative enough to turn this into a a Eastern Conference contender, then get lost, dude, you know?
0: So I think where I'm coming from with that is, um, so I guess it depends on a few things. It depends on how good... does someone think Blake Griffin is? I think he's very good offensively. I think he's below average to bad defensively, and he's a mediocre or worse rebounder. So if you remove Andre Drummond from the front court, you have you've done a you've taken a significant part of whatever effectiveness Detroit has had so far to date in terms of winning the possession battle on the boards you lose that advantage entirely, right? So, I mean, Zaja's not going to do it. John is not going to do it, although Lure is a solid remodder. So you've taken a pretty big step back there. And so even if you add something like two strong perimeter players, you, you've still got to make a trade under the rules of the CBA, right? So it's not as if you're shedding money when you trade Andre Drummond. You're still going to have money committed. You've still got Galloway, who's deadweight. You've still got Ish Smith, who's deadweight. You've still got Stanley Johnson, who's deadweight. You still got lure, where even if he's playing and producing, he's dead weight because no one wants that contract. So i I see that you know if you if you trade Andre Drummond, the reason I feel like mediocrity is almost a certainty, regardless of whether you trade him or not, is because you have a probably a two year window with Blake Griffin after this, and you've got a whole lot of dead weight to clear in those two years, and I, I'm just not sure how you do it under the rules of the CBA because I mean right now. They're close to paying the luxury tax, right? And if they trade Andre Drummond, unless they pull off something crazy where you know they're you know only taking one player back because they're trading him into empty space or something, like you're still gonna end up being in the same pos- position financially. And that's been a problem that we've known about for years, even before the Blake Griffin trade. Cause Van Gundy kept in <laughs> you can if you if you're interested in this, uh The Bleak Griffin post that Sean Corp wrote earlier this week spells this all out. Like, there's just a number of contracts that are just going to be hanging around and hanging around until 2020. And that's the point at which we would really expect Blake Griffin to start declining. So, you know, to me, Andre Drummond is not at all untouchable. He shouldn't be. But to me, it's going to be really hard to get value, equivalent value back because of the way the NBA is changing. I, I think big men are being sort of criminally undervalued right now. Uh, So I don't know who's going to give a lot for Andre Drummond, but even if you do get equivalent value and you get, you know, two better than average players for Andre Drummond, you're still stuck with all the contracts. You're still stuck with, you know, several of the bad players. And at best, you're looking at like maybe six guys on your roster that you're really excited about. And you still got to fill three to five rotation pieces somehow. So to me, like, even if you make the trade you're still two more trades away, right? Like, even if you make the trade, you're still a 500 team, I guess. So when I talk about being locked into mediocrity, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, SVG just put us in a really tough spot financially. Um, And look, I think the number of teams who would like to have Andre Drummond as a part of their roster, it's probably a pretty big list. But the number of teams who want to pay Andre Drummond what he's going to make and are willing to give you two guys in a pick or one guy in two picks to get him. I think that list is a whole lot smaller. So that's kind of where I have a more pessimistic view than you do about kind of the, I don't want to say immediate future, but the next two to three
1: years. Yeah. And you know, I I think that you can win with Blake Griffin in the Eastern conference. I think that he is a talented enough player that a team can build around him and put complementary talent around him and, uh, and be successful. But also at the same time i i think that edge defensky if his idea is to just uh you know play this thing out and see where it goes and hey maybe we'll suck a couple of years because of the hand he was dealt and then that's that's you know that's not really acceptable for me i think that uh that we could have you know especially because he was brought in as general manager without any real interviews being done. Um, And we passed up on a lot of really talented guys because uh, they were going to be subservient to this guy who's been basically a retread at a bunch of really bad organizations. And so, uh, you know, if, if we're not able to make things work with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and we have to wait out their contract, cool, fine, whatever, you know, that's no big deal. And then that means that we need to be moving our expiring contracts. We need to be moving Reggie Bullock. We need to be getting rid of uh, Ish Smith and uh, need to be moving um, Stanley Johnson. You know, everybody who's expiring this year, we need to be, teams are looking to offload salary to free up cap space. And they'll give up a first round pick for a guy like Reggie Bullock uh, if we're going to take on two or three years of extra contract so that it all expires at the same time with Andre Drummond and, uh, and Blake Griffin. And we might as well in that case. But, you know, the, the idea of this um, this malaise and just that, that it seems like Ed Stefanski goes into this with where, I mean, the most exciting thing I've heard from the guy is if there's a star that can move the needle, we might be willing to include a first round pick. Like, every other team wouldn't also be willing to do that. I mean, uh, I, I just have absolutely no confidence in the guy at this point. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's you know, I, I think that a team that's, that obviously is not able to compete, but is just holding pat or you know, uh, doing exactly what it is that the Pistons are doing is just setting themselves up for, uh, for long-term failure. That they they need to pick a route and go with it. Whether my route may not be the right route. Maybe trading Andre Drummond is not the way to go. But at least give me some sort of damn strategy. You know what I mean?
0: No, I hear that completely. Um, So David had a really interesting point on Twitter this week. He talked about like six really close losses that had happened over the last 10 games or something. And this is... Middle of the week, so this is before the Utah game. But I kind of fired back at him, like even if half of those had gone the other way, at that point the Pistons would have been 19 and 16 as opposed to 16 and 19. So the reason I bring that up is because I I think the current roster is, you know, I thought 41 to 43 wins, maybe 44 wins going into the year. Well, Canard gets hurt, Gr3 doesn't do anything of value. No one else can throw the ball in the ocean and things are still not terrible for this team. So when I say mediocre, that's kind of what I mean. I don't. I mean like that 40 to 44 win range where in the East, that's probably fifth, right? I mean, that's probably first round and you're out kind of a situation, but maybe you're competitive. That's kind of where I see this team still, they're not going to get to 45 wins, but I could see them rallying and getting to 41 wins and making the playoffs. Like I, I still see that as more likely than not, because I think... For example, Gr3 is going to start making some shots, and uh, I think Kennard is going to round into form. And I think just those two guys playing well is going to be enough to win you some of those games where you know you've gone into overtime and lost, or you've blown a fifteen-point lead, um, or you've—I uh, don't remember exactly what it was against Utah, but you mm-hmm. get my drift. Like the margin of of error has been so razor thin in so many games for the Pistons that. Over the next 30 games if even half of those the coin flips go the other direction it's a winning team again right so um i I guess there's lots of reasons why i'm not ready to train andre drummond that's sort of another one because i i think they're they're better than their record um there's more talent here than they've been able to squeeze out of it so i'm just not ready to make that drastic of of a move now if the Pistons finish the season five, six games under 500, um, maybe this, maybe I feel very differently. Right. I mean, maybe I, I feel like the only solution is the nuclear option and you've, you've got to move on from Andre Drummond because there's no other way to improve the franchise, right. Because your financial commitments are what they are and that's what we've talked about so Mm -hmm. far. But, um, but yeah, I I mean, personally, I, I still like Andre Drummond a lot. Um, i'm i'm going to be looking very carefully at his usage at his shot selection his shot volume to see if you know the last month the last five weeks have just sort of been a random aberration or if maybe they've keyed in on something and are limiting some of those attempts that's kind of where i'm at I, i'm not when i say that i think the team is mediocre and i think they're kind of locked into mediocrity that that's kind of what i mean they're like a you know, a five to eight seed and maybe on the outside looking in, if you have stuff happen like this year where key guys get hurt or they don't show yeah. well. Like and,
1: you know, and, and my my thing that I would, um, you know, close close the Andre Drummond thing out with is that it's not a matter of liking or disliking Andre Drummond. It's a matter of disliking the idea of your two leading scorers being your big men and that, uh, that a roster construction like that just – that it doesn't work, and so it's a matter of disliking the roster construction rather than anything else. And so, if you, if someone believes that you know Andre Drummond is willing to not be a guy who uh, needs those isolations, you no, know, um, no, no, I, I don't mind it. You know, that's a, uh, I, that could work. But I, I just, I don't think that he's given any indication that he'll be that guy. And as far as you know, the team this year. I think that um it's only going to get worse from here i actually think they're a little bit worse than what their record is uh mostly just because of what the rest of the league is when you've only got six teams in the league that suck um and everybody else is just is pretty good to where it turns into a coin toss game and uh and you've got 23 teams that you're doing the coin toss with on a nightly basis and then that's uh that's it it means it's going to be you know uh four or five games under 500 I think by the the time the season ends up and when we look at what we've got coming ahead for the stretch right now it's a it's not an easy one you know we've got the Spurs at home tomorrow and then a four-game road stretch on the road all Western Conference teams that are all pretty tough
0: yeah can't argue with any of that Steve we've yeah. been talking for about an hour I, I honestly could probably talk about this topic for another hour but uh that'd be way too long of an episode and, and uh <laughs> We've talked enough. So, uh, thanks very much for coming on. Steve, thanks for writing that piece again. If you haven't read it yet, get on DBB. It's still on the front page as of right now. Uh, check it out before we get to tomorrow's game with the Spurs. It's definitely worth your time. We'll definitely have you back again this season. It'll be interesting to check in on some of this stuff a month from now or two months from now and, and kind of see where we're at. Everyone, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Ben Golker. You can find me on Twitter at BR Gulker. I said I'd be more active writing on the blog this year. It's still a goal. Uh, maybe second half of the season, I'll be more successful in meeting that. Steve, outside of Detroit Bad Boys, where can people find you and and tell you how wrong you are about Andre Drummond?
1: Huh. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Twitter for that. It's uh, Shinons8. S H I N O N S8. Um, you know, I uh, I really on the Twitter side of things, it's blown up a little bit over the Andre Drummond. <laughs> I never wanted to be like you guys with the uh, the big follower count. So uh, yeah, that's uh, it. Really, uh, folk can just hit me up on the blog. I'll I'll, I'll read the comments. Uh, Detroit bad boys. That's that's where I would prefer pumping into any of the uh, angry comments I get about it on Instagram. <laughs> All right. That's good. All
0: right. Thanks again, Steve, for coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. We will talk to you again next week.